Hey friends, I hope you're having an amazing day. This is a shameless plug going out to my free downloads. I just loaded up cycling snacks. So these are a great way to make your own healthy snacks for a training inside, outside, or for the family. So go to askcoachsylvie.com and download them today. Welcome to Secrets from the Saddle podcast. I'm Sylvie Daou, your host, fellow cyclist, bike club founder, cycling coach, bike race junkie, just truly super passionate about cycling. My journey with cycling started 20 years ago when I opened a spin studio, started a women's race team, and founded a women's only cycling club called Cycle Fit Chicks. I'm super thrilled to reveal all aspects that make the world of cycling operate. I'm so excited to be able to bring you interesting people from around the world, pro cyclists, recreational cyclists, coaches, event organizers, bike shop owners, everything and everyone you need to know or ever wondered about when it comes to cycling. I know you'll enjoy this episode. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Secrets from the Saddle, All Things Cycling podcast with your host, Sylvie Doe in Chelsea, Quebec. And we have Stuart Jones sitting in Boise, Idaho. Stuart is a podiatrist. And you might be like, what's podiatry got to do with cycling? Well, we're going to find out. However, not only is Stuart a podiatrist and a cyclist, but he is also TikTok famous. <laughs> I say that and he shakes his head because that's where I found him on TikTok. And uh, I just want to encourage you to go and look at Stuart's um, uh, account because I just thought he was super funny. And then I start diving into his uh, socials and then I saw he was a cyclist. And that's how I reached out. And that's how we are here today. So before I bring Stuart out, here's a little bit of background about him. And uh, then we're just going to dive into all the uh, juicy stuff, juicy feet stuff. (laughs) (laughs) I know feet are juicy, but anyways. (laughs) Okay, so Stuart uh, grew up in Wyoming, loving the outdoors, but he knew he I love this sentence. Um, He knew he was not going to last as a minor, which is, or he says roughneck. It's not like redneck. I was like redneck, roughneck, same thing. Anyways, um, so with that incentive, he went back to school and started studying athletic training and as a pursuit of amateur bodybuilding and personal training. Then he decided he wanted to continue school and went into podiatry, which led him to go to Miami and to get his master's degree. So he is also, as I mentioned, an avid cyclist. He has helped organize a charity ride called the ALS Tour de Funk um, after a close friend was diagnosed with, what is that? It's Lou Gehrig's disease. Lou Gehrig's disease. Okay, thanks. And so, and there you have it. And he's been a foot and ankle doctor for the last 22 years. Welcome, Stuart, to the podcast. Well, thank you. Thanks for having me. (laughs) Thank you. So I always love to get started with the question, how did you get into cycling? And then, uh, you know, how it led to podiatry. (laughs) <laughs> well, actually, <laughs> dietary led to the cycling. Oh, well, let's hear all about it then. 
So I was in medical school, which basically you're just in class all day and studying all the rest of your time. And some friend decided that, you know, he needed to get out and do some exercises. He had a spare bike. So we hopped on A1A and we were just biking down the beach and uh, that became a daily routine. And I just ended up loving it. I would just go in, you know, 15 minute rides turned into two hour rides and so on and so forth. And I just fell in love, but it was sea level. And the only elevation you had was the causeways going Oh. The traffic. <laughs> oh, this is Miami and this is Florida, yeah, right? This is Florida. Yeah, so yeah. Okay, I get it. <laughs> first time I end up back in Wyoming, um, I get this brilliant plan. I'm going over the Jackson Pass, and I don't know if you ever had that. That's that's ten thousand feet of elevation. Oh. Yeah, that was fun. <laughs> like it was I was smaller than I was I am now, but still, it it was a, a long ride. So, did you make it? I did. <laughs> That's good. Because <laughs> he was like, should I turn around? Should I turn around? Should I keep going? It's one should of I those keep... where you're kind of going back and forth across the road. Oh, gosh, is it that steep? <laughs> miles an hour. Yeah, it was fun. So tell us about um, about your schooling and how you decide to go, you know, from where you were in Wyoming to podiatry. Like what what pulled you to that profession? Well, like I said, in Wyoming, where I lived, you had two choices, either oil or mining. And uh, after being, you know, a quarter mile on the ground in the mines, I decided that that's just not what I wanted to do. I work construction. I mean, I was just killing my body. And so I thought, well, you know, let's try school. And I thought, well, I've been interested in, you know, athletes. And so I went into athletic training and realized that I just wasn't going to be satisfied taping ankles and, and treating injuries like that. Okay. So it just led to podiatry, which, you know, gave me the opportunity to do surgery, see patients and uh, kind of love it. So that's kind of where I ended up. So can I ask you kind of like a back pedal? Did you go straight to work after high school? Well, I worked all through high school and right. uh, believe me, I wasn't much of a student. So <laughs> uh, some, some of us are kind of like that. <laughs> than athletics, it was just, I mean, I was, I was an art major. So oh. you know, that was <laughs> only classes I really went to. Um, but yeah, you know, I decided I better get serious about school. So uh, it took a few years and uh, I ended up um, in a community college, which was perfect for me I learned mm -hmm. I can actually learn and I was pretty smart so you know it just led to one thing pretty to smart guy eh apparently <laughs> <laughs> I'm not saying I'm not smart but <laughs> um I learned how to learn and yeah it's uh you know it, it it gives me an opportunity to to do a lot of other things too uh you know I I've always had to have a creative outlet right now it's TikTok and <laughs> other things it's been you know art um and then I have to have an outlet so cycling is you know when I need to get out get fresh air that's what I do all right so you did say you're telling me that um your most creative time is like in the middle of the morning <laughs> how do your kids feel about that <laughs> well they're asleep they don't even know <laughs> <laughs> yeah. like or they're just going to bed when you're waking up <laughs> 
No, I get up whenever I get up, usually between three and four, and I'll just go to work and, you know, I'll, I'll take an hour or two and, and, you know, do stuff that I want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, then I'll start working and somewhere right. in there, I'll get a workout in here and there, and, you know. So do you still engage in your cycling? Oh, yes, that's right. We were just talking about that both. Uh, it's pretty snowy where you are right now. So yeah. what is your... Um, physical outlet right now well i uh when i'm not cycling i do a lot of rowing otherwise oh, okay. it's just weights and you know just quick hit workouts i don't have much nice. time so 20 30 yeah. minute workouts are about is all i can handle right now <laughs> so let's talk about um feet and cycling so i was just asking you beforehand if they actually cross over because we're thinking you know like you know, cyclists and, you know, I can think of like ankle, maybe not so much ankles, more knee and hips, but how do, and you mentioned that you do help cyclists with other things. What what are those other things? I'd love to know. Usually cycling injuries involve other parts of the body, usually sleeping, you know, hitting the road. Um, but there are a few overuse type injuries and, and it all really has to do with what type of cycling shoe you're wearing. Um, okay. if you, just, you know, most people go in, they go to the, the, you know, cycling shop and they, they try to pick what's on sale, the cheapest, you know, cycling mm-hmm. shoe, cause they ain't cheap. Um, and so they end up just, you know, sticking with what they got. And if it's too narrow, then I see neuromas. That's usually the only, um major you know cycling injuries and neuroma and what's a neuroma you it's have a to explain nerve. all this stuff okay neuroma <laughs> you'd had one you'd know okay okay <laughs> i'm sure <laughs> um you know everybody who's been on the side the, the bike long enough has a hot spot in the ball of their foot you know yeah. and, and, and you know that that's kind of the starting of one usually that's just a pressure point that that's kind of getting friction from the shoe but an aroma would be pinching nerve between the metatarsals which are the long bones of the foot yeah the metacarpals so basically they they kind of form knuckles at the ball of the foot which are kind of padded and those knuckles are where you push off the ground and that's usually where you're putting that cleat down onto the right and uh if that nerve kind of just pops in between those bones long enough it gets swollen it gets inflamed and irritated and then you know you get that burning spot that goes on all day long especially all night long when you're sleeping and so you right. concentrate on anything else so neuromas are are probably the most common problem with cyclists other than you know they're having knee issues or they're having hip issues and and mm-hmm. you know you don't really think about well what can you do inside the cycling shoe unless you've had a custom cycling orthotic made or something like that and so I don't make the orthotics but I do guide them to somebody who does yeah so this is a great question because always getting even for myself sometimes like I, I try not to get a narrow shoe because my like I prefer like something way wider um but numbing mm-hmm. at the toes and also um is that part of it too like just 
because a lot of it is is placement of the cleat and the 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 different cleats like you know like shimano is very small mm. you got the look pedal has more of a base um do you do any recommendations like is it maybe predominantly like what kind of cleat size that they have on the bottom of their shoe that causes that as well I do like the Shimano cleat that's a little bit more triangular and wider because oh. it does take up more surface area under the shoe. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it has a, a lot to do with it. Cycling shoe width is the biggest thing. You know, if you were to right. step down and just see how much your foot spreads when you're looking down on it, you need a shoe that allows that spread. And there's not too many cycling shoes that actually allow that. And then a lot yeah. of them, just like conventional shoes, will come to more of a point near the toes. And then now you're you're pushing your toes toward the center. And now they're getting, you know, squoze in there too. So, you know, you really need a properly wet shoe. You need to figure out where that cleat fits best to alleviate some of the, that pressure point. Because really, that's the only contact with with the pedal. And, and, and it doesn't get much of a break. You know, yeah. Downstroke or upstroke, it, you're still, you know, putting a lot of pressure on that one spot all the time. Yeah, I'm just thinking about those pixie shoes we used to wear in the 80s. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I bet you got a well. That's a whole other subject. You got a whole lot of ladies with bunions because our toes used to be pressed too far. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. But yeah, the planet keeps me busy. You know what? Actually. I have, so what did you call that? The, the pinching of the nerve? An aroma. Neuroma. I believe I get that with certain heels that I have. <laughs> now that I think yeah. that I slide my foot in and I get that like, like right from the bottom of my foot. And I'm just like, and it's because my toes are too close mm -hmm. together. And I'm just like, I love these shoes. <laughs> and gravity's pushing you down there even further because of the God, hit. what we go through. And to do to think about, we have to transfer that over to our cycling shoes. We should not be doing that, ladies um, or men. No men know what we're talking about. But um, so with regards to that, does that get any worse? It's like if good. it's like over time? So there's things you can do to alleviate some of the pressure, um, metatarsal mm -hmm. pads. And I noticed that um, Shimano for a while had something like the body geometry insoles, I think is what they were called, that had a little bit of a raise. So if you, you pulled out, it'd be a raise kind of right in that center area, not in the arch, but a little bit further okay. up the toes. And that's to kind of push up on the, the actual bones so you're not putting so much pressure on the joints. But oh, okay. pads that you can put down into your cycling shoes, it'll help that. And it'll it'll help cause or take away some of the hot spots you get. Oh, okay. So there's nothing that will lead them to you for any kind of surgery. Like you can- Oh, yeah. Some... They're, they're, oh, really? Oh. We'll do cortisone shots. Um, oh, yeah, those are fun. <laughs> yeah. Experience, have you? Yeah. Uh, um, was it cortisone? No, it was, um, I had to have a wart removed from the bottom of my shoe. Mm, yeah, that's a painful shot. And so that was number one. And then I had a piece of rubber 
that, believe it or not, this was 10 years after I stepped on this nail that it, it shoved this piece of plastic into my foot and it was starting to come out and I could feel it. And yeah, so that was the freezing and then the cutting of that. Oh, <laughs> amazing. The body will, will take. Yeah, it was extracting that. And and later, like, it'll push it to the surface. Yeah. Yeah. And I was just like, oh my God, you could just feel it. I'm like, I thought for sure it was, you know, it was okay. Like it was, you know, we're doing some construction. You step on this nail. It went through my running shoe into my foot. And then 10 years later, you know, you've got a piece of it coming back out. <laughs> yeah. So that's, so just a needle in your foot. Yeah. I felt that. That's, that's about the same as a, a shot for an aroma. Yeah. So that's the only thing that, that can alleviate that yeah. kind of pain. Cortisone will take away the inflammation and allow you to function. It just doesn't take away the mechanical problem. So if you don't make the changes in your shoes, mm. then the neuroma will come back after the shot wears off. So ultimately surgery is, you know, usually the final option. And that's where we just go and take out a section of the nerve, you know, about that big <laughs> and uh, no more problem because there's no, no, no more nerve there. But so it was oh, the end of the nerve. So the nerve at that point is just giving you sensation in between the toes. So the only right. sensation you lose is, you know, between the toes. Okay. So you take the very end of it. Yeah. Oh, wow. Mm. Does that happen often? It does. It works. Really? <laughs> but again, is that better it. than fixing your shoe? No. But <laughs> <laughs> would just do that then they wouldn't have to have the shots or surgery. But typically, I'm not going to say it's particularly just women, but they just have to wear those shoes. Right. So hey, anybody listening to this, and if you're having this problem, go buy another pair of, buy a pair of expensive cycling shoes that are going <laughs> to eliminate that problem, right? Over. Bont. Pardon? Bont. B-O-N-T. No. Look them up. Bont cycling shoes. Bont. Cycling shoes. Hmm. Is he local? Is he in the States? Hmm. All right. Either I'm frozen or Stuart's frozen. I suspect he'll be coming back. Stuart, are you there? Bont cycling shoes. Okay, we're gonna have to look that up. Hold on. We'll look that up while Stuart's, oh shit. <clears throat> All right, here you go. 
Why is there no, oh, oh, ah, pink. $600 US, genuine leather. I would like a red cycling shoe. Why is there never any red? You're in a different location. Oh, now your audio is not working. <laughs> Look, I was looking up the cycling shoes. All right, audio is connecting. Now you muted yourself. <laughs> All right. All right. This is my tablet now. We've tried my phone. We've tried my computer. Now this is the tablet. Okay, is it plugged in? <laughs> it is, yeah. Not plugged yeah, in. Just, <laughs> you don't want it to like die. Just make sure everything's plugged in. So I was looking at uh, those shoes. Yeah, they're not cheap. They're not. And if you get them custom built, they're even more expensive. But believe me, they're worth it. Is that so? Is that what you prescribe? You send uh, a lot of different problems just because you get a custom insole with it. And, and they, you know, they mold them to your foot. So there's no pressure points, no matter what. They heat them up, mold oh. them, and they oh, kind of wow. everywhere. Yeah, because I was looking like they're genuine leather. And I was like, hey, they even have red. I'm like, oh, I need red them. cycling shoes. They're I'm not picky or anything. <laughs> Yeah, so all right time. yeah so there so there's that the pressure point and what what is the other ones that um issues that you typically help cyclists yeah. with a lot of ingrown toenails 
Oh. Just again, ill-fitting Ill shoes for the most part, but uh, just a lot of time, you know, one day can irritate it and, you know, warp, you know, sweaty feet cause any kind of infection. That's just a viral infection of the foot. So, which you know now also well. Yeah. 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 So let's talk about ingrown toenails. I know everybody's like, what? But how, because I'm curious, like, how does that start? And is it because not only because of your shoes, but is it due to trimming improperly? Like, how do you avoid that? Well, it's genetic. So if you have a family really? history of ingrown toenails, then you really have to be particular about how you cut your nails and what you're wearing, oh. because those other factors are going to be, you know, a lot more problematic if you already have a family history of it we see it run right through families but seriously but yeah i mean going to you get a pedicure i've seen a lot of bad pedicures lead to ingrown toenails Ooh. Um, and then you know what i call bathroom surgery that's where people kind of go in and attack it on their own <laughs> and uh once they've butchered it or not down or down talking bad about urgent care doctors but a lot of them will, will try to take care of an ingrown toenail and then one it's traumatic so you know the patient's already been traumatized by that experience and then they end up coming here you know i, I treat them three or four times a day so it's second nature here it's just seriously <laughs> you want somebody who does them a lot so that you, you can get it done right because you don't want to redo an ingrown toenail if it's done wrong. Okay, so explain what exactly, like I, you know, the ingrown toenail, but exactly an ingrown toenail. So you said it's hereditary. Now, I'm not even going to try and explain what I think it is, but explain exactly what an ingrown toenail is. Well, an ingrown toenail is when the nail itself starts to grow into the skin, usually okay. because you've cut it back past where that fold of skin on the side. So yeah. if you look at your nail, you'll see where the fold should meet the nail. Yeah. And most people, at least on their fingernails, will round them. Yeah. You should cut them straight across on your toenails because as long as you can see the corner in each side of the nail, there's no chance of getting an ingrown toenail. Oh. But if you round it or you try to cut it out because it was digging in there a little bit, then you're going to leave a little piece of nail under the skin that's going to grow out and start to cause, it's going to irritate the skin, the skin's going to swell. And at that point, it's painful. And then it's just one step away from getting infected. Now, an infected ingrown toenail is the worst because now you've got an infection and that irritation too. So, uh, so. <laughs> as I'm like, mm. <laughs> you know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Maybe I've been uh, clipping my nails a little too around the sides and my toes. Okay. I will stop that. Everybody, Everybody stop that. Everybody does it. <laughs> so I can't believe it's hereditary though, but that is interesting. Um, so ingrown toenails, what I can see that. What else, what else comes in? Well, as far as cyclists, you know, that's, I see cyclists for bunions. Um, oh, and yes, bunions. Bunions are just a target for any type of 
improperly fitting shoes. So you're just going to get rubbing on that bump on the outside of your foot. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, it, it's again, finding a shoe that kind of accommodates all that is going to be your best friend. Um, otherwise it's just gonna, it's just gonna start to hurt more and more every time you get on the bike and uh, yeah. you, you get halfway into a ride and then it becomes unbearable and you still have to get home. So, right. I have seen a lot of women. Well, that's kind of sometimes a conversation piece is like, yeah. you know, we, we talk about lots of stuff when we were on our rides. Um, but <laughs> If you've ever cycled with women, you know, like it can I get do. quite colorful. Um, and, but so, and I've seen, <laughs> like, then it's like show and tell, look at my feet, look at this. Um, and I've, I do know a couple, quite a few ladies who've gone in for surgeries, things like that to straighten it. Now, here's a question. Of course, you see things online that claim to straighten your toe. Is there any truth to those, like the ones that kind of try and curve your toe out and straighten it? Is there like, you know, you see the straps on the feet to like kind of move it out and then the, the padding in between the toes. Do you recommend stuff like that? I don't because it's a structural problem at that point. The joint is, you know, it should be aligned. Now yeah. you've got a joint that's crooked. And so yeah. all you're doing with those splints are pulling it into place. But as soon as you take the splint off, it's just going to go right back because the bone's already adapted to each side. Uh -huh. So, um, and really you can only wear them at night because they're, they're so bulky. You're not going to be able to put them on your foot and then put, wear a shoe with all that, you know, either the padding or the splints and the straps on there. So, you know, it looks great in the morning. And as soon as you put your foot down on the floor, it'll just go right back. So I don't see okay. that working at all. Um, you can train the muscles in your feet, though. That's a whole different thing. Um, and that's something that we're not taught in school because, I mean, we're, we're it's like Western medicine. We're taught right. to prescribe, cut. Mm -hmm. But uh, there's a podiatrist out of Australia called the barefoot podiatrist. And he's come up with all kinds of series of kind of yoga, Zen yeah. type, you know, exercises you can do for your feet. And they actually do work. Um, yeah. So, I mean, if you want to exercise your feet and, and go through that, you can look him up on the internet. He's got a lot of good exercises. You know, you're using rubber bands instead of exercise bands. And you're kind of doing these weird crunches with your feet. But you can train the muscles to support your foot better. Um, and like what I do is I give the, my patients an option. If they're having problems with instability and their foot not functioning properly, they can wear an orthotic, which they have to move from shoe to shoe and that mm -hmm. supports them. But the more you wear a brace, the more you depend on the brace. So, mm -hmm. you know, once, once you get so dependent on that brace, you can't walk without them, then that's a problem. Right. So I try to use it temporarily while they do perform exercises or, you know, figure out what they need to be doing right to, to function properly. And then they can come out of an orthotic or, or brace. Um, unfortunately, it's just not going to work for a bunion because, again, the bone's adapted. So either you live with it or you fix it. And I'm right. sure everybody hears the nightmares of bunion surgery. It's not a fun procedure. Um, right. 
and it has to be done right because uh, there's there's many ways to fix a bunion and if you approach it wrong from the beginning you're just going to have a bad outcome and at some point it just becomes unfixable so you really want to go to somebody who knows exactly where the problem is and attacks that level of the deformity and not the you know the easiest one to to treat right because so, i imagine there would be like a lot of um scar tissue and calcium buildup because it just it it's so they're so big right like they just they're such a big bump yeah so part of the bump is that the actual joint dislocating now you're seeing the part that should be oh. inside the joint sticking out the foot and oh. the other part is you know it's been sticking out there and just like you know the skin gets hard when it's irritated you know mm -hmm. you're rubbing your shoes on that bone and the bone will build calcium deposits and it'll get bigger mm -hmm. and bigger too so um you know it, it's, it's it's a bad problem but we've always had that one grandma that her feet are just crossed over and gnarly and i mean she's 80 years old she's lived her whole life without fixing her feet so at that point i do it yeah. <laughs> she didn't even know what that was back then <laughs> to like it's like i don't want to do anything about that <laughs> Well, I have a little, um, so I've, um, what is that debilitating um, foot injury? It's not an injury. It's like. Um, Are you talking about Liz Frank's fracture? No. Um, you, you need to get a, like a cortisol shot for it and it can be debilitating. It's, it's more around the heel. I can't think of what it is. Oh, right fasciitis. Yeah, that's it. You see a lot. I bet you see a lot of that in 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 uh, runners or triathletes. See it in everybody. It's 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 a very very common problem. Yeah, everybody's going to get it to some extent. I had a little bit of it. I'm sure I did, and I did. I started into some aggressive massage on my calves and my Achilles and. Uh, and I got this. <laughs> oh, the rollers. Yeah, I just keep it underneath my desk. And I just like, because I'm in my bare feet all the time. And mm -hmm. so I just nice. I keep, it, I keep it here and I just massage. And then I'm like oh, on the sides. And, and uh, so <laughs> I figured like back then, like it scared me because it it just came up, came up so quickly. And I was cycling at the time. And then I remember having a conversation with this woman. She's like, yeah, I had it and I couldn't walk for a year. And I was just like, <gasps> I was like, what? <laughs> and I'm like, how do I get rid of this? Yeah. And it just takes stretching and, you know, working out the, the knots yeah. there. The rollers work good. Um, and it can happen to anybody. I mean, it's, it's, it's just strain right there where the plantar fascia, you know, is attaching yeah. to that heel bone. Mm -hmm. And over time, it gets harder and harder to treat because it becomes more and more chronic. It's right. easier to get an acute stage when it starts, but you know, versus letting it go forever and then trying to treat it. Yeah. I don't know how anybody could let it go forever because when it started with me, I was just like, what is that shooting pain in my heel? And it like, I can't even hardly walk. I, can't, <laughs> I don't know how somebody would let that go for a long time because that was. I do. It's crazy. Wow. Wow. So is there anything else that you can share with us? Oh, let's talk about um, the charity ride 
that you helped organize for your friend. And it was, um, sorry, ALS. ALS, yeah. The Tour de Funk. Is that in Idaho? Yeah. So COVID kind of killed it. Um, (laughs) We started it in 2019. Oh, gosh. It was the first ride. And, you know, it was my first time I ever jumped in any kind of an organized or organizing an event like that. I've been many of them, but I didn't know what went on behind the scenes. There's a Mm -hmm. lot. Mm -hmm. I got to learn all the local bike shops and, you know, became that. That's actually good context. I still use. Oh, yeah. Um, But yeah, my friend, uh, he was my anesthetist for, oh, probably about four or five years. And then, you know, he started complaining about, you know, his shoulder twitching and his, his finger going numb. And he went to doctor after doctor, just got one diagnosis after another and, you know, Lyme's disease. And then finally he got tested and, you know, they actually did the biopsy and he had ALS, which is, you know, it's, it's a death sentence. And literally the doctor told him that day, is like, just go home, get your, you know, everything in order. Cause yeah. you know, this is like life expenses about two years. Wow. Um, and he, he, uh, so you know, we just watched him struggle and we wanted to help out and try to, to, you know, raise money. And uh, since you know, a group of us were cyclists, we decided that would be a great event. Um, so we, we organized the, the ride and then it's, it's gone for three years now, but it's been a virtual event. So mm-hmm. I'm not sure what the future holds. You're not but, bringing uh, it out this year. Like everybody's kind of bringing their events back. Uh, unfortunately he actually just died this month so oh, you know no. we, we just had the funeral for him and it, it's very very hard but uh, yeah. yeah I think we're going to carry on it, it it's it was very successful the first year out so we'll see what the future holds you me. have to Stuart in his honor and I think we will we we kind of signed on with the ALS Association, which was a great resource, but they kind of took control of it. And, uh, you know, we kind of want to bring it back to, to more basic, basic, local. Yeah. yeah. So, so we'll it, was it just in your town in Boise? Yeah. So it was, it was a metric century and we had, you know, okay. every, anywhere from a one mile to, you know, we had 10, 20, 35 mile rides. Mm-hmm. for the day and uh, oh that's so great you can contract. yeah it allows everybody to participate yeah and skill levels yeah. yeah so yeah we might uh figure out and do it again this year so we'll see well you have to share it with me if you do because yeah. uh you know get that get that advertiser out on social media for you i appreciate that so when's, what are your personal plans for the cycling season once the snow disappears? Have you okay. been inspired by some events that you've been seeing online? Well, after talking with you um, through email, <laughs> I'm, I, I really keep planning to get my climbing skills a little bit oh, better. Oh, yes. So, oh, that's right. I said I'd give you a couple tips. Yeah, you promised. So. Um, yeah, I'm just, I'm just too big. And, uh, you know, I want to get a gravel bike. I want to start doing some gravel riding. So uh, mm-hmm. got my mountain bike. I have my 
few road bikes, um, but yeah, I need to grab a bike. A couple of road bikes. <laughs> it's a source of contention. <laughs> you can't have oh, enough yeah. bikes, so can't have too many. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, if you get a gravel bike, I don't know, it might replace the road bike. Uh, not the road bike, the uh, mountain bike. True. True. Mm-hmm. It's getting a little worn. I kill myself mountain biking. Again, I'm just too big. When I go down, I go down hard. So yeah, and you can't afford it. That's the the thing Girl. about you. It's the the surgery, the fingers, the the wrists. Like you can't uh, afford to hit the uh, the pavement or the. No, um, yeah, I had a big spill in in Miami. Um, talking about Miami, um, it was on A one A, and and there, you know you got the big metro buses and they hate oh. cyclists because you know they have to leapfrog they're right. you're taking their lane and so you have to just keep going around them and and i got into a construction zone and apparently the, the bus ran me off into a hole so my front <gasps> tire was in the hole i went into the intersection <gasps> and i didn't wake up for three days but uh you know my helmet was cracked and it it fall off um, but it did save my head um, and I did, you know, sustain a brachial plexus injury to my arm and that was completely useless for, you know, almost a month, but, um, so I've, I've been down hard on a bike, um, and I don't want to do it again. Yeah. Not now. Uh, <laughs> not that you're older now. <laughs> I know the older we get, the more fragile i'm just like you know just gonna take it easy even though like i went out mountain biking last year thinking i was a 20 like a 30 year old again and and i was gonna hit the trails like i used to and boy that was a big eye opener about a couple feet in (laughs) i'm just like uh you know i think i might um have a bitten off too much going on this trail but anyways, I made it through okay, and and uh, it was just kind of, you know, had a little laugh over that. And if I'm going to do that again, I need to start uh, from the beginner trails, like everybody else, and move my way up to the advanced if I want to not hurt myself. But um, but yeah, so so gra- okay, so you want um, some tips for hills? Okay. Well, let me just ask you a couple questions first. When you typically ride, do you ride on the big ring or the small ring? I'm always in the big ring until I start approaching a hill. Mm. I'll start out. Well, actually, I do start out in the big ring. um, And then I will start to shift down. In the hill? So maybe that's wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was a, one of the first things you sh- you should do is prepare for your hill, especially if you can see it, you're approaching it, um, getting into a lower gear and then uh, approach, then getting into your hill. That will help you avoid dropping chains. If you've ever done that, mm-hmm. when you you know your your train your chain is like on the granny gear and you're in the big ring and then you're like okay it's time and then it just like drops right off and you're like fuck and then um (laughs) yeah so to avoid that yes the number one thing is approach your hill in your small ring and use all your gears and you will also not even burn your legs out 
in the process. Like you'll, you know, you want to um, get to that, that time where, you know, everything's hard because you are in the hardest or easiest hard gear. And, um, and then you drop it and then you're spinning and then you got to adjust. And so does that sound familiar? Kind of. Yeah. Yeah. Give yourself some, some gears to go through. And then the person behind you, like, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> so not many you people your... behind me at that point. Oh, I'm sure you're riding with somebody at sometimes. So approaching your hill is always the best way. Uh, get yourself prepared for the hill and and take your hill um, and then adjust your gears accordingly. And then of course at some point you're gonna max out and um and then you just settle in. But, and then there's other things. Um, are you a seated to standing climber? Which one do you prefer? I try to stay in the saddle most of the time. I'll stand occasionally and pedal, but okay. most seated. Yeah, so, so I'm guessing when you stand, you're, you, you're like at that point where like, oh, I think I need to stand just to change things up but then when you stand you kind of blow your legs up and then you sit down you're like that wasn't a really good idea yeah i usually shift up a couple times to stand <laughs> and then shift down after i sit down again <laughs> so maybe that's wrong well no um but the thing is if you're going to get into standing climbing is starting to train yourself on being able to stay there and continue your climb. Like if you are predominantly seated stand hill climber, start training your legs because it it is a different muscle group to uh, skill level to be a hill climber out of the saddle. So that when you do stand, you don't blow up your legs and then sit down and you can't sustain what you're doing. So it's it's going and doing those intervals seated and standing big ring small ring uh half and half so there's a lot of different do you ever do intervals i haven't for a while but yeah i used to <laughs> intervals is a good way to yeah. get strong for your hills at least a couple times a month to go and do those so i will be working on that for sure well i've got lots of other things i can share with you but <laughs> But those are the main ones, like there's the how you transition from seated to standing, there's changing your gears without grinding. Um, so there's a lot of things. Well, it's not a lot of things. It's like the main things to think about um, when you're hitting your hills and you're riding. Yeah. But uh, the power to weight ratio is probably, um, you know, will help obviously as well. Yeah. It, always, it always feels nice to be lighter, <laughs> a little bit faster on the saddle, but um, it does make a difference. I know that for sure. Yeah. I mean, that's another conversation, um, but I do help a lot of people in that respect too. Well, more women than men, but uh, <laughs> because sometimes men just don't ask for help, Stu. <laughs> <laughs> one thing i'm trying to get better at now so i've converted over the last four or five years i've done keto okay and now I'm, I, I'm, I'm on the carnivore diet and that's the hardest thing is i find on the ketogenic diet it's a totally different 
energy expenditure. So, you know, when you bonk on carbs, then, you know, you're useless for a long time. Yeah. But it took me a long time to, to convert from carbs to fat. So I can, I can sustain my energy all day being, you know, using fat for energy, but I can't do those spurts of energy. I mean, I, I'm limited to about five minutes of, you know, getting my heart, heart rate up. And then mm-hmm. I have to back down or else I'm going to bonk. And when you bonk on, you know, fat, it, it just takes maybe 15 minutes of regeneration and then you're back up there. But it's taken me a long time to kind of adapt to that. Yeah. Keto, it's it's not like a lifestyle you can sustain. Um, as an athlete, we always, you know, kind of avoid any kind of low fat you know, low sugar, keto extremes. Yeah. Cause they're just not sustainable, especially if you want to get into performance and like, um, over time, they just kind of work against you, you know, like, like you're not getting the weight loss and the energy level. And then you have to think about all the fat you've been eating. Like you're a doctor kind of the arteries, the clog, like the cholesterol thing that, that kind of adds up over time. Um, so it's, it is a balance of carbs to fats to proteins. And I, you know, I always err on the side of more carbs, less protein when I'm out and the protein comes in after, like, even like before it's like, if you're going to do carbs or protein, it's like mixed with carbs, you know, beforehand and then carbs during and then protein afterwards for the recovery phase and fats are in there, but. Yeah, it's weird. It's a totally different source of energy. Yeah. I tried keto for a month. I got, I was so tired because I wasn't (laughs) eating any nutrients and I mean, I lost weight. I mean, I lost nine inches. I'm like nine inches and six pounds. Yeah, I was ripped, but I was sick sure. and I was tired. So I'm like, this isn't really like for me. <laughs> yeah, know? no, it, like, it takes a while to convert to the energy source. So yeah, yeah, I've, you know, I do, I have a friend who works on that, but again, it's, it's a very fine science, but you got to be doing everything all day every day right to be doing that like you can't just expect like saturday's group ride i'm gonna be like you know using fats for fuel and then and you can't you can't go back and forth Um, you really have to stick with it but Mm -hmm. yeah it's it's kind of a different it, it takes a while to convert i'll tell you that but yeah yeah so and then there's sleep right? As you know, you're using your aura ring and, uh, and that is a huge, that plays like a, an even bigger role than, than, uh, you know, your food is like how, how well are you recovering and, and, uh, rejuvenating your body when you sleep? Exactly. Looks like you're going to fall asleep. No way. I know it looks sunny there, but um, it's far from sunny. Is it? Well, I guess the sun's out, but it's just white. <laughs> it's white. 
Well, with that, Stu, and like I mentioned, everybody, go check out Stuart on his TikToks because he's super funny. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I was going to get him to do our, a little tutorial for us because he's he's uh, really good at the multi-character scripts. Three o'clock in the morning. <laughs> Who else am I going to have to play? Yeah, right. <laughs> Now I can see why you're so creative. I'm like, next time I see your phone, I'm like, good morning. <laughs> so where else can we find you, Miss uh, Stewart? Well, um, Facebook, Instagram, I think I gave you the links. Yeah, I've got everything here. So you have your own website as well. That I is. don't. Well, my uh, practice has a website, so you can you can find me there. But uh, that's more for scheduling appointment and seeing me. If anybody's in the area, <laughs> IdahoFootAndAnkle.com. Success right you. there. Maybe he takes appointments over TikTok. Do you do that? No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> I'm afraid what kind of appointments I'd get over TikTok? Yeah, right. <laughs> hey. <laughs> <laughs> it's an interesting crowd out there isn't it <laughs> it's like anyways we could talk about tiktok just like everybody gets i mean glued to it um sometimes you just gotta cut yourself off and go to bed it's a time waster for sure it is yeah so with that everybody should be getting on their bikes anyways it's about that time of the year True. um so with that, I want to thank you, Stuart. It's been a pleasure. I've learned a couple of things and um, we look forward to uh, seeing you maybe come back. We'll talk a little bit more about feet or how the summer was. And um, so thank you to our listeners for joining us. Uh, don't forget to follow the podcast on Instagram and give us a review on Apple podcast and uh, all that share thank you thanks a lot Stuart take care everybody bye thank you so much for spending this time with me on the secrets from the saddle podcast learning more about sighting people places and things that make cycling such an exciting sport I am so glad you stopped by today please leave me a review if you feel so moved to do so I would love to hear your feedback and if you could take one second to share this episode with someone you think would enjoy it, I would be forever grateful. Also, if you could please leave me a review, if you feel so moved, by going to iTunes and leaving me an honest thought and an honest comment, telling me what you think, and most importantly, tell me what you'd like to hear more of. It would really help me to bring more great, inspiring cycling stories to you. Until then... Have an amazing day. Make sure you ride your bike. And don't forget to visit my YouTube channel if you'd like to see the full version of this podcast live.